Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host and the podfather of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with us. I'd suffer the effects of bromhydrosis if I had to walk through the idea that you missed this week's show. Here's our associate producer, Kate, to introduce this week's show. Hey, Tony. Now I'm on it. It's Zombie Loyalists. Peter Shankman is a five-time best-selling author, entrepreneur, and corporate keynote speaker. His book, Zombie Loyalists, focuses on customer service, creating rabid fans who do your social media, marketing, and PR for you. Peter's book isn't new, but his strategies and tactics are timeless. This originally aired December 19th, 2014. On Tony's Take Two. How's your endowment? We're sponsored by DonorBox. Outdated donation forms blocking your supporters' generosity. DonorBox. Fast, flexible, and friendly fundraising forms for your nonprofit. DonorBox.org. Here is Zombie Loyalists. Peter Shankman is a well-known and often quoted social media, marketing, and public relations strategist. His latest book is Zombie Loyalists. He wants you to create rabid fans who do your social media, marketing, and PR for you. He's got super ideas and very valuable stories. I'm very glad Peter Shankman is with me in the studio. He's the founder of Haro, Help a Reporter Out, connecting journalists with sources. In under two years from starting it in his apartment, Haro was sending out 1,500 media queries a week to more than 200,000 sources worldwide. It was acquired by Vocus in 2010. He's the founder and CEO of The Geek Factory, a boutique social media, marketing, and PR strategy firm in New York City. Peter is on NASA's Civilian Advisory Council. You'll find him at shankman.com, and he's at Peter Shankman on Twitter. His latest book is Zombie Loyalists, Using Great Service to Create Rabid Fans. I'm very glad his book brings him to Nonprofit Radio and the studio. Welcome, Peter. Good to be here, Tony. Thanks. It's a pleasure. You um, live on the, uh, on the west side of Manhattan. I do. And you, you, there's, a, there's a pretty well-known five-star steakhouse, uh, I'll get Wolfgang's. Yep. Not far from you. Nope. But you pass it <laughs> to go to a different steakhouse. Correct. You, Morton's. Correct. Why is that? More, I am a zombie loyalist to Morton's. What does that mean? I uh, love the service, the attention to detail, the quality, the the sort of where everyone knows my name mentality. When I walk into that Morton's or any Morton's around the world, they have a tremendous uh, customer relationship management system. Uh, when I call one number uh, in New York or anywhere in the world, it, it they know who I am by my cell phone. And uh, I'm treated with uh, just, you know, phenomenal uh, uh happiness to, to hear from me and, and my wishes are granted as it were. I, we have a uh, happy hour, uh, uh, holiday party coming up at Morton's next couple of days. And, uh, you know, I've, as always, I forgot to call and make a reservation. And, you know, I called and yesterday and said, Hey, I need a, uh, any chance I get a reservation for seven people, um, you know, Thursday night at, uh, 7 p.m., which is, you know, the, the week of the holiday party. Yeah. And uh, they looked and they said, oh, well, and then I guess their computer system kicked in. Of course, Mr. Shankman, not a problem at all. We'll get the for you right away. You know, we'll have, we'll have a great uh, booth for you. Da, da, da. Um, you know, and we'll, we'll uh, you know, tell us the names of the people attending. And, you know, you know, you know they're going to have specialized menus for them and, and with their names on them. So they really, they have a, a really high level of service that, uh, that they provide. Not just to me. That's the right. beauty of it. I yeah. mean, you know, it's, it's one thing. for everybody? Yeah, it's one thing if they just provide it to me, but they, they do that for everyone. And um, that is huge because, you know, being able to call when a normal person makes a reservation, and, and not that I'm special, I'm actually rather abnormal, but um, when a normal person makes a reservation and says, uh, you know, Morton says, okay, great, are you celebrating anything? So, oh, yeah, it's my wife's birthday. Oh, they what's always, her name? That's routine. They, they always, always ask, ask to anyone who calls. Yep. Right. Right. Said, oh, you know, what's, it's my wife's birthday. Great, what's her name? Her name's uh, Megan or whatever. And you, you go in and they... Um, and you sit down on the on the on the uh, menu. It says "Happy Birthday, Megan," and then Megan, whoever she happens to be, will spend the next forty five minutes, you know, taking fifty selfies with her menu, and 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 right. that'll go online. And and when her friends, you know, want that same experience, they're going to go Morton's. 
you say uh, in, in the book, you get the customers you want by being beyond awesome to the customers you have. Yep. And that's why I wanted to start with that Morton story, which is the, in the yep. middle of the book. But they do it for everybody, and then they have the VIPs as well. And there's the terrific story of you tweeting. Go ahead, tell yeah. that story. That's a good story, well, too. Well, it's a good story. I you love know, stories. I, I, I was flying home from a, a day trip to Florida and was exhausted and starving. And um, Day trip, meaning you're flying down and I flew down at 6 a.m. I had a lunch meeting, flew back the same day. You know, yes. one, of those, one of those days. And uh, I jokingly said the tweet, Hey, Mortons, why don't you meet me at Newark Airport when I land with a porterhouse in two hours? Ha, 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 ha. Um, you know, I said it the same way you'd say, Hey, winter, please stop snowing. Things like that. Yeah. And I landed, uh, find my driver, and sitting next to my driver is a uh, is a, a waiter in a tuxedo with a Morton's bag. Uh, they saw my tweet. They they put it together. They managed to bring me a uh, a, a steak. And and you know, as great of a story as it is, it's, it, that's that's it's a great stunt and it's a great story. And it, it wasn't staged and it was completely amazing. But you know, that's not what they're about. They're not about delivering steaks to airports. They're about making a great meal for you and treating you like royalty when mm. you come in. And, mm. you know, if they just did that, if they just delivered the steak to the airport, but their quality and service sucked, you know, it wouldn't be a story. Because, oh, you know, look what they did for Peter, but, you know, my steak's cold. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. so what it really comes down to is the fact they do treat everyone like kings. And that's, that's really, really important because what winds up happening is you have a great experience at Morton's and then you tell the world. You know, oh yeah, great dinner last night. That was amazing. I would totally eat there again. And as we move to this new world where, you know, review sites are going away, and I don't, I don't need to go to Yelp uh, to read reviews from people I don't know. Yeah, interesting. You know, if they're shills or whatever the case may be, I don't know. Or TripAdvisor, same thing. I want people in my network who I trust and, and people in their network who they trust and then by default I trust. So and that's going to be, that's already happening automatically. You know, when I, when I land in LA and I type in Steakhouse, uh, you know, not me. I know. I know where the steakhouses are in LA. But if someone types into Google Maps or Facebook Steakhouse in, in Los Angeles, you know, they'll see all the steakhouses on a Google Map. But if any of their friends have been to any of them, they'll see those first. And if they had a good experience, only if the sentiment was positive, will they see those first. And that's pretty amazing because if you think about that, the simple act of tweeting out a photo, "Oh my God, thanks so much, Morton's love this." That's positive sentiment. The network knows that. And so, if you're looking for a steakhouse. You know, and your friend six months ago had that experience. Oh my God, amazing steak! This is a great place. The sentiment's going to be there, and 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 the network will know that. The network will show you that steakhouse because you trust your friend. And this is where we start to cultivate zombie loyalists exactly. through this through this awesome customer service of the customers you you have. Uh, say more about zombie. Yeah, loyalists. I mean, you have so many companies out there who are trying to get the next greatest customer. You know, you see all the ads. Um, you know the, the 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 Facebook posts. You know we're at nine hundred ninety followers. Our ten our one thousandth follower gets a free gift. Well, that's kind of saying screw you to the original nine hundred ninety followers who you had who were there since the beginning. We don't care about you. We want that one thousandth. You know that's not cool. Um, the 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 companies who see their numbers rise and who see their fans increase and their their um, uh, revenues go up are the ones who are nice to the customers they have. Hey, you know, customer eight fifty two. It was really nice of you to join us a couple of months ago. How you know? How are you? We we noticed that you posted on something about a uh, you know your car broke down. Well, you know we're not in the car business, but you know you're you're two blocks from our our closest uh, outlet or whatever. And you know, once if you if you need to come in, have a free cup of coffee, we'll let you use the phone, whatever. You know those little things that you can do that 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 really focus on the customers you have and make the customers you have the ones who are the zombies who tell other customers how great you are. And this all applies to nonprofits certainly as well. I mean the, the no book question, is but even more so. Yeah. Know? I mean if you you know nonprofits are constantly worried about how to how to make the most value out of their dollar and how to keep the dollar stretching further and further. And uh, you know you have this massive audience who who has come to you, who's a nonprofit and who said to you, you know, we want to help. Here we are volunteering our help and just simply treating them with the thanks that they deserve, not just a simple hey, thanks for doing it. But actually reaching out, asking what they want, asking how they like to get their information, things like that, will greatly increase um, your donations, as well as um, making them go out and tell everyone how awesome you are and letting them do your PR for you. And that's what a zombie loyalist does. Is, and and this, is for, this could be donors, could be volunteers to no the question. organization who aren't able to give a lot, but giving time is yep. enormous. Yep. And if, you know, if they have such a great time doing it, they'll bring friends. As 
as zombies do. You know, zombies have one purpose in life. Real zombies have one purpose in life. That's to feed. It doesn't matter how the Mets are doing. It doesn't matter, you know, because the chance that they lost anyway. But it doesn't matter how uh, how anyone's doing, you know, or what's going on in the world. State or of the economy. Like that. It doesn't matter. Right. What matters with zombies is where are they going to get their next meal because they feed and they have to infect more people. Otherwise, they will die. Zombie loyalists are the same thing. All they have to do is make sure that their customer, they, they tell the world. And we all have that friend who does it. You know, that one friend who eats, eats it nothing but the Olive Garden because, oh, my God, it's greatest breadsticks yeah. everywhere. You know, and they will drag your ass to the Olive Garden every single time they get that chance. That's a zombie loyalist. And you want them to do that for your nonprofit. And there's, there's a big advantage to being a smaller, a smaller organization. You could be so much more high touch. And we're going to talk about all that. We've got the full hour with Peter Shankman. We've got to go away for a couple minutes. Stay with us. It's time for a break. Open up new cashless in-person donation opportunities with DonorBox Live Kiosk. The smart way to accept cashless donations anywhere, anytime. Picture this. A cash-free, on-site giving solution that effortlessly collects donations from credit cards, debit cards, and digital wallets, no team member required. Plus, your donation data is automatically synced with your DonorBox account. No manual data entry or errors. Make giving a breeze and focus on what matters, your cause. Try DonorBox Live Kiosk and revolutionize the way you collect donations in 2024. Visit DonorBox.org to learn more. Now back to Zombie Loyalists. Peter, it doesn't take much to uh, stand out in the customer service world, does it? It really doesn't, you know, and the reason for that is because we expect to be treated like crap. Crap. Yeah, you know, if you think throughout about, the book, yeah. I, I, I love this example. Whenever I give speeches, I ask, I ask everyone in the audience, I'm like, who here has had a great flight recently? Like, at least one person will raise their hand. I'm like, okay, what made it great? And without fail, they're answer, well, we took off on time and, <laughs> and I had the seat I was assigned and we landed on time. And I'm like, so you paid for a service, they delivered that service and you're over the freaking moon about it. I'm like, that's the state that we've become. You know, that's how bad customer service has been, that you are just beyond thrilled that they did exactly what they said they were going to do and nothing more. Less than 20 minutes in the post office line. Exactly. And I'm, and I'm ecstatic. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, so we really are at a point where we only have to be one level above crap. I'm not even asking my clients to be good. Just one level above crap. You know, if everyone else is crap and you're one level above that, you're going to win. It's my favorite, one of my favorite jokes. Um, <clears throat> the uh, two guys are out in the woods, hunting out in the woods, and the, or just jogging out in the woods. The first one sees a, a bear. And they see this bear, and the bear is raised up, and he's about to strike. And the, the first one you know, reaches down and tightens up his, his laces on his running shoes. And the second one says, dude, you, don't, be, don't, be, don't be an idiot. You can't outrun a bear. And the guy says, I don't need to. I just need to outrun you. <laughs> you know? I love that joke because it's, it's so true. That's the concept. You know, all you have to do is be just a little bit better than everyone else, and you'll win the whole ballgame. Now, we have to set some things up internally in order to have the, the structure in place to, oh, no question to, about it. to create these, the, the zombie loyalists. Yeah, I mean, you have, a, you have a, a, a company where the majority of people in your company are afraid to do anything outside the norm. You know, yeah. I mean, look at, look at a cell phone company. You know, they, you call them because you have a problem, right? AT&T or, or T-Mobile, you call them because you have a problem. They are actually, the, the customer service people that handle your call are actually judged and rewarded based on how quickly they can get you off the phone. You know, not on whether or not they fix your problem. How fast. But how fast they can get you off the phone, which means how many more calls they can get. I remember I worked, uh, when I worked at America Online, we all had to do a day of customer service every month just to see what it was like, which I thought was a brilliant idea. But, you know, again, it's this, it's this, it was a system called Vantip where you'd sign on. And as soon as you signed on, if you weren't in a call, you know, that was tacked against you. And if you were in a call and, and it went over a certain amount of time, that was tacked against you. So mm. the decks were stacked, not in the favor of the customer. There are some companies out there who allow their customer service employees to simply be smarter about what they do and do whatever it is they need to do to fix the problem. Um, you know, my favorite story about this is Verizon uh, Wireless. I, I went overseas. I was in Dubai. And I landed in Dubai and I turned on my phone. I had gotten global roaming on my phone, which, you know, 20 bucks for every 100 megabytes. Okay. So I land and I turn on my phone and it says, um, like, before I'm even off the plane, I get a text that you've used $200 in roaming charges. I'm like, what the hell? You know, $300 by the time I get off the plane. I'm like, something's up here. So I call Verizon, and a nice guy answered the phone. And he, oh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, the first thing he said was, yeah, so you, you do have global roaming, but it, it doesn't work in Dubai. So I'm like, okay, well, that's not really global. That's more hemispherical roaming, I think, is, is the issue. And... Um, so the, uh, I said, well, look, I'm going to be here for a week. I said, you know, what? you have my credit card on file. Bill me like, I don't know, can you bill me like a thousand bucks and just let me have the phone for like the week and, you know, that, you know or 500 bucks, I won't go over two gigs. Well, just do something for me. Sorry, sir, I'm not authorized to do that. Um, you can, I'm like, so what do I have? He's like, well, you can pay 
uh, $20.48 a megabyte. I'm like, I'm sorry. Seriously? Which equates essentially to, I would be charged $20.48 seconds, $20.48 for every, I think at the time, it was for every four seconds of the video Gangnam Style, okay. if I would decide to watch it on my phone. <laughs> like, this is pretty ridiculous. So, I simply hung up, hung up on Verizon. I went down the street to the Dubai, the Mall of the Emirates, which is the largest mall in the world. It has a freaking ski slope in it. And uh, I'm not joking. It has a ski slope in this mall. Mm-hmm. And uh, went to one of like the 86 different electronic stores in this mall. Uh, bought an international unlocked version of the same exact cell phone I have. Went next door to the local uh, SIM card store. Bought a SIM card that gave me 20 gigabytes of data and 1,000 minutes of talk for $40. Mm. I then put that in my phone because it's an Android phone. I simply typed in my username and password for Google and everything imported. And Verizon did not get a penny on that trip. Um, how easy would it have been for Verizon to say, okay, you know what? We'll cut your break. Uh, they'd still make a lot of money off me. And I would tell the world how great Verizon was to work with and how wonderful they did, how helpful they were. Instead, they guaranteed that I will never that they will never make a penny for me on any international trip, and I take what fifteen of them a year because now my cell phone, um, my international cell phone that I bought, all I do is pop out the SIM card, and when I land wherever I am, put in a new SIM card. So, and you're speaking and writing and telling bad stories, of course, about, and, and about you know, Verizon. And every time I tell the story about Verizon, I make it a little worse. Apparently, Verizon uh, tests out the durability of their phone by throwing them at kittens. I, I read this on the internet; must be true. <laughs> but you know, so, not necessarily. But you know, the concept that that all they had to do, all they had to do, was empower Mark, right? That know, guy the had customer no, service, right, had and no, it wasn't Mark's fault. Mark no was a really nice guy, but he was not allowed to do that. He would have gotten fired if he tried to do a deal like that for me. And so it's this concept, you know. And the funny thing is, is, it comes down to, if you really want to go, go down the road in terms of a public company like Verizon of, of, of where the issue is, you could even trace it to fiduciary responsibility. Because the fiduciary responsibility of any company, CEO, all the way down to the employee, is to make money for the shareholders. Okay, that's what fiduciary responsibility means. By not allowing me, by not allowing Mark, the customer service agent, to, to help me mm-hmm. and, and take a different tack, he's actually losing money. Too many CEOs think about the next quarter. Oh, we have to make our numbers the next quarter or I'm fired. Companies in other countries tend to think about the next quarter century. And they make a much bigger difference because they think, okay, what can we do now that will have impact in the next 5, 10, 15 years? You know, and really implement the revenue that we have and, and augment it. And companies in America don't, don't tend to think about that. And that's a big problem. Um, I, I buy a product line uh, <clears throat> that has a lot of natural and recycled materials. It's mm-hmm. seventh generation. Mm-hmm. And... Their um, their tagline is that in 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 our every decision we must consider the impact on the next seven yep. generations. Yep. It comes from an American Indian. It's a great it's a great line. I mean, just think about how much money Verizon would have made for me in the past three years. Yeah, Over, just just in my overseas. You'd travel. be telling a story about like them about Morton's exactly. or like the one about exactly. Morton's. For and, them. You know, look, a lot of people listen to me, and they went, for a time when you Googled roaming charges, Verizon, when you Google Verizon roaming charges, my story about how, how I saved all this money oh, really? be, came up first because I did the math and if I had not called Mark and bought my own cell phone and done this, I would have come home to a $31,000 cell phone bill. And you know, damn well, Verizon wouldn't have done a thing about that. Yeah. They'd have been like, oh, too bad, sorry. Should have read the fine print. And plus the, the employee who sold you the, quote, international plan. Right. I'm sure you told her. Him I did. Or her, she said, "Where are you going?" I said, "I'm going to Canada, and then I'm going to Dubai." I'm assuming she didn't know where Dubai was. She probably thought it was near Canada. But uh, yeah, <laughs> long right. story short, right. couldn't use it. All right. So employees have to be empowered. There has to be. We have to be. Th- but changing a, a a thinking too. I mean, the customer has to yeah. come first. The donor, the volunteer. The donor, the volunteer. You get it. At the end of the day, where's your money coming from? I don't care if you're a nonprofit or a Fortune 100. Where's your money coming from? You know. And if you, we see it happening over and over again. We're seeing it right, seeing it right now play out every single day with the company Uber. Um, and yeah. Uber, it's so funny because Uber makes, uh, you know, they're valued at $40 billion right now, but that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean anything if people are running away in droves, which people are. There's a whole delete your Uber app movement. Oh, people whole, are. Re- oh, God, yeah. People are leaving. Oh, what's their There's, problem? Uh, well, it's several. Number one, that uh, Uber is run by a bunch of guys who honor the bro code. The company was actually started by a guy who, in, on business, in Business Insider, said he started the company to get laid. Um, his goal was to always have a black car when he was leaving a restaurant uh, to impress the girl he was with. That's, he came out and said that. And you see that culture run rampant throughout uh-huh. Uber um, from their God mode where they can see – they actually created – there was a, a – I don't know where I read this. It might have been Business Insider as well. There was a, they created a hookup page that showed or, – or, or, or a walk of shame page that showed where uh, 
women were leaving certain apartments like on weekends and going or leaving certain places on weekends and going back to their home. Um, it was obvious that they, you know, met oh, some man, guy and got like, they did that. And then of course, just their, their whole surge pricing mentality, which is, you know, two days ago, there was a, uh, or a couple of days ago, there was, a um, uh, the terrorist, uh, that they think was a terrorist attack in, in Sydney, uh, at that, at that bakery and Sydney, uh, Uber in Sydney instituted surge pricing for people trying to get out of, oh, of harm's way, <laughs> you know, and, and they, they later refunded it. Oh, it was a computer glitch. I'm like, you know, I'm sorry. You, you have a stop button and you can, when you see something happening like that, there has to be someone in the office who can say, you know what? Not cool. We're going to take care of that and, and hit the stop button. And it was, yeah, bad, tons and tons and tons of bad publicity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was having an argument with someone on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Peter Shankman because they said, oh, you know, um, so what? They don't, they don't turn on surge pricing. They don't have enough cabs there. And, you know, people can't get home. I said, I'm pretty sure that the only, I'm sure that no one had cab companies there. I'm sure that there wasn't anyone who had enough cars there, private cabs, Ubers, whatever. Yet the only stories I read about companies screwing up during that event were Uber, not Joe's Sydney cab company. You know, I didn't see him screwing up because he didn't turn on surge pricing. You got to respect your customer. You have to. As we're uh, training for that, then not only... Uh, trying to change that mindset. Well, in, in trying to change that mindset, rewards for for customer for employees that that do take go do go the extra mile. Yeah. Well, first of all, if you give the employees the ability to do it to go the extra mile and understand they won't get fired, you're not going to get in trouble. I, I always t- tell every one of my employees, you're never going to get in trouble for spending a little extra money to try and keep a customer happy. You'll get fired for not doing it. You know, you'll yeah. get fired for not. For seeing an opportunity to fix someone and not taking it. Not doing everything that you could. You know, Ritz-Carlton is famous for that. Ritz-Carlton hires people, not because whether they can fold a bed sheet, but for how well they understand people. Because in Ritz-Carlton's mind, it's much more important to be a people person and be able to be empathetic. And that is such a key word. Empathy is just so, so sorely lacking. You know, how many of you have called customer service? Yeah, you know, I have to, I have to change my flight. My, my, my aunt just died. I really need to get home. Okay, great. That's $300. I just want to go an hour earlier. Mm. You know, you show up at the airport, your bag is overweight by half a pound. That's seventy five dollars. I just, I can you can you just cut it me some slack? Nope. You know, so empathy and giving the customer, giving the employee the ability to understand that the customer that sometimes you can make exceptions and it is okay to make changes. And and this is where a smaller organization has huge advantage. Yeah. I mean, it's easier to change. That's what kills me. You know, I go to these. I, I try to frequent small businesses when I can. I go to some of these small businesses and they won't. They they act like large businesses, you yeah, know, in the respect yeah. that, that they don't have a uh, like they want to be respected almost. They don't have like a six a six thousand page code that they have to uh, adhere to. They can simply uh, do something on the fly, and yet for whatever reason they won't do it. And and it's the most frustrating thing because I'm like, guys, you're acting like a big you're acting like Megalomart here, you know, and you're not Megalomart, and you're just Joe's House of Stationery, whatever it is, and you know not being able to help me, you're pretty much killing yourself because you don't have 85 billion customers that have come through the door after me, you know, but I have a pretty big network and for a small business to get killed socially as social becomes more and more what, how we communicate, you know, it's just craziness. It's, you know, we're, we're pretty much in a world, I think, where something almost hasn't happened to you unless, unless you share it. (laughs) <clears throat> I joke that, uh, you know, if I can't take a selfie, was I really there? Um, but it's true. You know, we, we do live in a world where, you know, I, I remember, God, 10 years ago, maybe not even not even 10 years ago. I was one of the first people to have a phone in my camera, you know, and it, it, it was like camera a in your phone. That's what I said. Yeah. Camera in my phone. Right. And it was like a uh, I think it was like a point eight megapixel. Yeah, you right. know, it looked like I was taking a picture th- with a potato. But it was um, it was this. I remember it was 2002 and I was in Chase Bank. And there was a woman arguing with the teller, and I pulled out my video. You know, it was—I mean, it was the crappiest video you ever seen. Yeah. But I pulled it out and I said, "You know," uh, I started recording, and the, the woman behind the ca- woman behind the counter was going. The woman behind the counter was talking to the customer, saying, "You do not speak to me that way. You get out of this bank right now." And the customer was saying, "I just wanted my balance." And you and the manager comes over, and I get this whole thing on my little crappy 3G uh, Motorola phone. And I, I remember I posted online, and Gawker picks it up. And I, I, I gave him, I, I emailed it. You know, I, my the headline I put on my blog was, "You know, Chase, where the right relationship is at, go after yourself." You know, and it was, and it just got tons of play. And then Gawker picked it up; it went everywhere, totally viral. So, it's one of those things that you're just like, you know, this was in 2002. 
it's 12 years later. How the hell can you assume that nothing is being, re- that you're not being recorded? You know, I, I, <laughs> I remember blowing, I, I sneezed a couple of weeks ago and, and, uh, uh, not to get too graphic here, but it was, I, I needed a tissue big time after right. I was done sneezing. And I remember going through my pockets looking for, desperately looking for a tissue and like looking around and making sure I wasn't on camera somewhere, that someone didn't grab that and it was going to be the next viral sensation, you know? I mean, I went, God, I went to high school eight blocks from here, right? If the amount of cameras that are in Lincoln Center today were there in 1989, 1990, I'd be having this conversation entirely. I'd be having this conversation behind bulletproof Prison glass. Cell or, and you'd be, yeah. 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 So, you know, you'd be, you'd be talking to me. You'd have to get special clearance to visit me. Probably be at the, the, a Supermax in Colorado or something. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you're just like, my kid, who's, who's almost two years old now, is going to grow up with absolutely no expectation of privacy the same way that we grew up with an expectation of privacy. And I'm thankful for that because she will make a lot less stupid moves. Mm. You know, I mean, God, the things that I thought, you know, in, 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 in high school, I thought the stupidest thing in the world. Thank God there wasn't a way for me to broadcast that to the world in real time. Jeez, thank God. Creating these uh, zombie loyalists, and you know, we've got to change some. We've got to change culture and thinking and reward systems. Let's go back to the the cost of all this. Mm-hmm. Why is this a better investment than trying to just focus on new donors? I, I love I love this analogy, and I'll give you a fun analogy. Let's say I'm in a bar, and there's a very cute girl across the across the bar, and she catches my eye. I catch her. I go up to her. I go, you know, you don't know me. I'm amazing in bed. You should finish your drink right now. Come home. Let's get it on. I'm, I'm going to impress you. I'm that good. Chances are she's going to throw her drink in my face. Go back talking to her friends. I've done a lot of research on this. That's probably exactly what she's going to do. <laughs> now, let's assume... <laughs> let's assume an alternate world. I'm sitting there on my phone. I'm just playing like, you know, some you know, words with friends or something like that. And uh, she's over there talking to her friends. And one of her friends looks up and says, Holy crap, that's Peter. I think that's Peter Shankman. <laughs> I've heard him speak. I, he's in this fantasy world. I'm single too. He, I okay. think he's single and he's having this, he's this amazing guy. I, I, I know he has a cat. You have a cat. You should totally go talk to him. At the very least, I'm getting this girl's number. That's PR. Okay. And what do we trust more? Me with my, you know, fancy suit collar going over there, my 70s leisure suit. Hi, I'm amazing. Or the girl saying, hey, we've been friends since third grade. I'm recommending that guy. You should trust me on this. You know, obviously that, that's where. Uh, good customer service comes into play and that's where corporate culture comes into play because if I have a great experience with you and at your company I'm going to tell my friend when they're looking and I will stake my personal reputation on it and there's nothing stronger than that and these are the people we want to breed as yep. zombie, zombie loyalists loyalist. it's stronger than advertising stronger than marketing and they're going to share no people want to share the, think about the, the internet runs on two things it runs on drama drama and bragging or bragging and drama mm. and if you if you need uh, any proof of that you know, go and look at all the hashtags with crap that's happened. You know, bad customer service, bad whatever. But then look at all the good hashtags. You know, it, when our flight's delayed for three hours and we lose our seat. Oh, my God. I hate this airline. Blah, 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 worst airline ever. But when we get upgraded, right? Hashtag first class bitches or whatever it is. You know, something stupid like that. <laughs> and the whole because we love to share. It's, it's only a great experience if we could tell the world. And it's only a bad experience if we can make everyone else miserable about it as well. It's time for Tony's Take Two. Thank you, Kate. How's your endowment? Endowment, that savings account that your nonprofit has, that you only spend the interest of each year, and maybe sometimes you don't even spend that much from year to year. Planned giving can help you either launch your endowment if you don't have one, or grow your endowment if it needs to be bigger. And I don't know many nonprofits that think, oh, we have enough. Our endowment's big enough. We don't need any more. Planned Giving Accelerator. I will help you in the accelerator to launch Planned Giving so that you can start your endowment or grow your endowment. Throughout the three months of the course, we go March to May, done by Memorial Day, so there's no impinging on your summer plans. We'll spend an hour a week together on Zoom over those 12 weeks, and I will guide you step-by-step how to launch planned giving at your nonprofit. I set those weekly meetings up as meetings in Zoom, so there's lots of crosstalk between the members. People are helping each other. There's a lot of peer support uh, aside from the teaching that I'm doing uh, each week. If that's of interest to you, please check out 
plannedgivingaccelerator.com, promoting the course in uh, the rest of this month, and then it starts in early March. That is Tony's take two. Kate. It sounds like a very valuable course. We hope people join. Yes, we do. You're right about that. We've got Buku, but loads more time. Let's go back to Zombie Loyalists with Peter Shankman. Peter, you have a uh, golden rule of social media that a good number of customers like to share, and people are going to keep doing it. People will always share. Um, again, it goes back to the concept that if you create great stuff, people want to share it because people like to be associated with good things. If you create bad stuff, and by stuff I can mean I mean anything from like a bad experience to bad content, people not only won't share that, but will go out of their way to tell people how terrible you are. Yeah. Um, you know, how many times have you seen companies fail horribly? Uh, you know, after major disasters, when companies are tweeting, um, you know, completely unrelated things. Uh, uh, after after a, a random school shooting. Uh, no, it was after the, uh, the the shooting at the the theater in Aurora, Colorado, The mm -hmm. Dark Knight. Um, the NRA tweets, "Hey, shooters, what's your plans for this weekend?" You know, and I'm just sitting there going, "Really?" Mm -hmm. You know, but and of course the thing was the thing was retweeted millions of times. You know, with a sort of shame on the NRA. So we <laughs> we're a society, like I said earlier, that loves to share when when great things happen to us, but loves to tell the world when we're miserable because we're only truly miserable when we make everyone else miserable around yeah. us. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned uh, um, the generosity series. Uh, the one of my favorite stories, <clears throat> which goes to sort of a uh, a bigger picture of culture, and um, somehow when you're just doing your job because that's what you're you're supposed to do your job, but you don't realize there are ways to get around that. I I listen to your podcast among others uh, when I'm running through Central Park, um, mm. and uh, more like if you know my body type, more like lumbering through Central Park. But <laughs> but I, I get there. I'm, I'm an Iron Man. I have cool. that. I have that. And. Um, so I go through Central Park and it's super early in the morning because I usually have meetings and I don't run fast. Um, I run like I really don't run fast. But but as I'm running, but let's well, give you the credit. You have done a bunch of Ironmans. I have tri marathons, triathletes, all marathons. Yeah. So I do. Well. I do yeah. it. You know, I, my my mother tells me that I just have very poor judgment in terms of what sports I should do. But okay. um, on the flip side, I'm also a skydiver, which is for, with my weight is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I fall better than anyone. You know? <laughs> um, but uh, so I'm running through Central Park last year. It was February, uh, February of, of 13. And uh, 14, it was this year. And um, it was probably around 4.45 in the morning because I had, a, uh, had an 8 a.m. meeting and had to do 10 miles. So 4.45 in the morning, I'm running, I'm up at, I'm up at around 90, 79th, 80th Street on the east side in the park. And a cop pulls me over and uh, says, what are you doing? And I look at him. I'm, you know, I'm wearing black spandex. <laughs> I have a hat. It's five degrees. I'm like, what, what? Playing checkers. You know, what yeah, you, yeah. you know, I'm like, I'm running. And he's, he's like, okay, can you stop running? I'm like, okay. He's like, you know, the park's closed. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm like, I'm in it. Look around. There are other people. He's like, nope, park doesn't open until 6 a.m. I'm like, he's like, uh, do you have any idea on you? I'm like, no, I'm running. He goes, what's your name? I'm like, seriously? He's like, I'm writing you a summons. I'm like, you're writing me a summons for exercising. For, I, for ex I just want to clarify this. You're writing me a <laughs> And sure enough, the guy wrote me a summons for exercising in Central Park before it opened. The, the charge was breaking the violating curfew. You know, I'm like, I get the concept of the curfew. It's to keep people out after 2 a.m. It's not to prevent them from going in early to exercise to be healthy. I'm like, I'm not carrying... You know, a six pack. I'm not drinking a big gulp. I'm not smoking. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm doing something healthy, and you're writing me a summons for it. Um, and I said, you know, I'm going to have a field day with this. I said, I, I, I kind of have some followers. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm not, you know, I know you're just doing your job, sir, even though you have the discretion not to, but <clears throat> okay. So I go back home. I take a picture of my ticket. I email it to a friend of mine of the New York Post. You know, front page New York Post. Next day, no running from this ticket. You know, it front, front page. page. Of course, <laughs> that's great. New York Times yeah. covered it. Uh, Runner's World covered it. I mean, I went everywhere. Gawker covered it. You know, and and my whole thing was just like, dude, you have discretion. Look at me. You know, I'm not. I'm not even going super fast. <laughs> For God's sake, I'm just. Yeah. I'm just trying to exercise here. You know, and of course, I went to court and I, I beat it. But how much mm. money did it cost the city for me to go to court, fight this thing? You know. Every employee, you have to give your employees the power of discretion, the power of empathy to make their own decisions. If you go by the book, bad things will happen. And again, small shops, so yep. much easier to do. Yep. Flat line, flat organizations. I, I work with a nonprofit, um, animal rescue nonprofit. Um, 
a friend of mine was a skydiver and uh, you shout him out. What's the? What's no, the? I, I, I can't. There's a reason oh, I can't. Okay. But but okay. there's a, a friend of mine was a, a skydiver and she was killed in a base jump several years ago. And her husband asked to donate in her memory to this nonprofit. So I sent him a check. And about three months later, I get a, a coffee table book in the mail. And I was living by myself at the time. I didn't own a coffee table. It was you know was more money to spend on my flat screen. And um, I uh, <laughs> I remember. I call. I look at this coffee table book. I throw it. I throw it in the corner. And I look at it over the next couple of days. And it pisses me off at how much, how much of my donation did it cost to print mail and produce this book to me? And so I call them up. Well, sir, we believe most of our donors are older and would probably prefer to get a print version as opposed to like digital. You know where they'd throw it away. And I'm like you don't throw digital away. But okay. Um, I'm like so so. You've asked your. You've done surveys and you've asked all. Your, no, we just assume that most of them are older. I'm like okay. So I open my mouth. Wound up joining their board, and um, spent the next year interviewing. Uh, customers interviewing every current and past donor about how they like to get their information and shock of shocks 94% said online and so over the following year we launched Facebook page Twitter page uh, um, uh, Flickr account uh, YouTube everything PS the following year after that donations went up 37% mm. in one year in that economy it was right around 08, 09 donations went up 37% in one year and they saved over $500,000 on printing mailing and reproduction mm. imagine going to your boss Hey, boss, revenue's up 37%, and we saved a half million dollars. Your boss is going to buy you a really good beer. You know, all they had to do was listen to their audience. Be relevant to the audience you have, and they will tell you what they want. We have tons of tools for segmentation. Oh, my God. But you've got to listen to what segment you wanna, people want to be in. You know, someone, someone asked me the other day, you know, what, what's the best, I, I knew nothing about their company, but what's the best uh, social media outlet for me to be on? Should I be on Twitter? Should I be on Facebook? I said, I'll answer that question if you can answer this, this, this question I'm going to ask you. Is my favorite type of cheese Gouda or the number six? <laughs> they say, I don't understand. That's not a real question. I'm like, neither is yours. I'm like, I can't tell you where the best place to be. Your audience can. I said, go ask your audience. Believe me, they will tell you. There's a gas station in the Midwest. Come and go. Um, I, I just love the name. K-U-M-N-G-O. Right. Come and go. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. and their tagline the is... Book. You can read more about them yeah, in the book. Their tagline is always something extra. I, just, I mean, come on. The jokes just write themselves, for God's sake. But um, and they don't take themselves too seriously. Really, I love don't. that. There's such a, a come and go. Just knowing such the name of the company, great yes. gas station. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I like. I remember they're in Iowa, and I went out to visit a friend in Iowa, and I'm just like, you got to get a photo of me in front of the come and go sign, you know. And um, the beauty of this is that that some of their employees actually look at their customers when they're on their phones in the stores. And go, oh, you know, what, do you use Twitter more or Facebook? And they say, oh, I use it. And they record that information, and yeah. they know it. Yeah. God, customers will give you so much info if you just ask them, because then they feel invested. They feel invested in your company. They feel like they that you took the time to listen to their nonprofit requests or their 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 questions, and they feel like they're. I did it for Harrow. Every month we'd have a one question Harrow survey. You know, Harrow one question survey, and it was we'd get like a thousand people to respond, and I'd spend the entire weekend emailing everyone who responded, thanking them personally. Mm-hmm. It took my entire weekend, but it was great because what wind up happening is that you know if we took their advice. And launched it on Monday with the new thing. They go, oh my God, Howard did this for me. They took my advice. Well, yeah, it was your advice and 800 other people's advice, but we took it. And they'd be like, oh my God, this is a great thing. And it just just made them so much more loyal and they'd tell hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. We'd get, I mean, there were days, my God, there were days. I remember I was in Temple one morning, the Garmin Center Synagogue, and my phone, I feel my phone getting really hot in my pocket, which is not normal. And I'm starting to hurt. And I look at it, it's, it's almost on fire. It had frozen. Because we were mentioned in Seth Godin's morning blog, oh, and ev- at that time I was getting uh, emails every time we get a new subscriber, and the phone had actually frozen and was locked, and and was like overheating. I had to take out the battery and like reset the entire phone because we just got so many new, we got, like fourteen thousand subscribers in like three hours. It's obscene. It's obscene. You say, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. You say uh, that customer service is the new advertising, marketing, and PR. Yeah, it really is. Well, again, you know, if we're moving into that world where. So imagine a lava lamp, and I love that I can use this analogy. Imagine a lava lamp. A lava lamp has water, oil, and a heat source, right? The heat source heats the oil. The oil flows through the water. It makes pretty colors. I've heard it looks really good when you're high. Now, I've heard. Now, imagine if, (laughs) ooh, crystals. Imagine if you're, uh, everyone you meet in your network, okay, is a drop of oil. The water is your network. The water is your world. Everyone you meet in your network, from, from the guy you're sitting doing the radio interview with to the guy who serves you ice cream at the local deli to the guy who does your dry cleaning to your girlfriend to your wife to, not at the same time, to your kid's second grade teacher to your second grade teacher years ago. Everyone you meet is mm-hmm. in your network. You know, right now, when Facebook first started, I would see the same weight from a kid I went to junior high school with. He, his post would have the same weight as, like, my current girlfriend, which is ridiculous. I don't need to know about everything my friend from junior high school is doing. I haven't talked to the kid in 15 years. <clears throat> Facebook's gotten a lot smarter, as has Google. Now, I see the people I communicate with the most. 
Okay, and if I if I reach out and communicate with new people, they start rising in my feet in my stream. If I don't, they fall. It's just like a lava lamp. Every person you connect with is a drop of oil. That heat source at the bottom that's rising, raising or lowering those drops of oil mm-hmm. is relevance. So if you imagine the heat source is relevance, and the more I interact with someone, the more the higher they go in my network, and the more I see of them, the more trust level there is. When I'm at a bar and I meet someone, or at a restaurant or a conference, and I meet someone. I don't need to um, connect them. I don't need to go on Facebook and friend request them. You know how awkward friend requesting is when you stop and think about it. The last time I friend requested someone in the real world was second grade. Will you be my friend? My daughter's doing that now. She goes, you know, she goes up to like the cat. Will you be my friend? I'm like, honey, the cat doesn't want to be your friend. But you know, it's this awkward thing. Who the hell friend requests someone anymore? If I if I'm hanging out with you at a bar and we connect again and we talk and we go out to dinner and we're having a good time, we're friends. I don't need to first request that you, you know, so that's going away. Friending, following, liking, and fanning is all going away. What will interact is the actual connection. So if I meet with you mm-hmm. and I have a good time with you and we talk again, if I use your business, if I go to your nonprofit, if I donate, if I volunteer, whatever, the network knows that. The more I do that, the more I interact with you, the more you have the right to market to me. And the more you will be at the top of my stream and the more I will see information about you, the less I will have to uh, f- search for you. But if you do something stupid or we're no longer friends, see ya. You're going to fade. I don't have to unfriend you. You just disappear. Unfriending is also awkward. I dated a woman. We broke up, but it was nine months after we broke up. Neither of us wanted to unfriend the other one because it was just awkward. Until I woke up and she unfriended me. Anyway. But, you know, the concept of not having to, to do that, of just, you know, okay, I haven't talked to you in a while. I don't see your posts anymore. That's the real world. That's how it should be. And if you're not feeding zombie loyalists, yeah. they can start to defect. And no question is, about so it. So I want I to spend a little time on... If you're Some not reaching out to your customers, repair. talking yeah. to them, giving them what they want, talking about their information, helping them out, they will gladly go somewhere else to someone who is. You know, if I have a great experience with a restaurant uh, every week for three years, and then all of a sudden, over time, I'm noticing less and less. That restaurant's doing less and less to uh, take care of me, you know, and maybe management's changed. And I don't feel that, you know, I'm ripe for being infected by another company. I'm ripe for someone else to come and say, you know, Peter... Because uh, if I tweet something like, wow, can't believe I have to wait 40 minutes for a table. This mm. didn't used to be like that. If, I, if someone else is a smart restaurant, they're following me and they're going to great. You know, Peter, there's no wait, no wait over here. Why don't you come two blocks north? We'll give you a free drink. You know, ooh. You know, and that right there, that's first sign of infection. And I might become infected by another, by another company, become a zombie loyalist for them. And so uh, let's, let's take, you have a lot of good examples. Let's take uh, a one-on-one situation. How can we start to cure that? The simple act of realizing following your customers understanding when they're not happy and fixing the situation before it escalates um, you know you can contain a small outbreak uh, you, a small outbreak small viral outbreak you can contain that by getting the right people finding out what the problem is getting them into one room fixing their problem healing them you have a good uh, United story right back when it was continental <clears throat> I was uh, a frequent flyer and booked a trip to Paris and uh, was very angry because they charged me like four hundred dollars in, in booking fees or something yeah. like that. I don't remember what it was. And uh, I called the CEO. I just just for the hell of it. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I wrote a I wrote an email. This was like before that. social, right? Before right. I wrote the, an email yeah. to the CEO, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm freaking fired. And like thirty minutes later, my phone rings. I'm like, hello, Peter Jackman. Yeah, please hold for Larry Kellner, CEO of Continental Airlines. I'm like, oh crap, you know. And the guy gets on the phone. He's like, Peter, how you doing, Mr. Shagman? How you doing? Sorry, listen, these fees they're new. Um, we sent them a note. I'm guessing you didn't see it. We're gonna waive them for you. But uh, if you have any more problems, you know, feel free to call me. And I hung up the phone for the next 40 minutes just sort of staring at it. Like, holy crap, Larry Kellner, the CEO of United Airlines, just called me and uh, talked to me. And mm-hmm. oh, I mean, it was, like, it was like God coming down and saying, you now have the power to levitate your cat. It was just ridiculous. And um, so, you know, I have been faithful to Continental and now United ever since. And, and they continue to treat me with respect and, and do great things. And they're, they're improving. They, they were getting a lot of crap over the past several years. And they, they really are starting to improve. It's nice to see. And not only, of course, your own loyalty, but your oh loyal, my god, your, how, I, your zombie loyalist for them. And how many times? How how much? New, it's unquantifiable. Yeah, yeah it's unquantifiable. I've, dra- I've dragged so many friends to United. I've I've made so many friends. Uh, I mean, my father, you know, uh, he only flies United now, which means he only drag he drags my mom only on United. I only drag my wife on United. There's a lot of a lot of work that way. Yeah. Are we going to go away for a couple of minutes when we come back? Of course, Peter and I are going to keep talking about his book. Comes out in January. Zombie loyalists. You have some examples of zombie loyalists leaving en masse 
like Domino's, Netflix, they're both <clears throat> they're both in the book. Yeah. So it's it, so one leaving. If you don't, if you're not starting to cure one leaving, yeah, and then that's the thing. You know, the, the beauty, it'll expand. beauty of the internet with the hashtags and everything like that. You know, it doesn't take a long time um, for those things to sort of blow up in your face. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, <clears throat> everyone's like, oh, you know, Twitter's responsible for for us losing millions. No, they're not. You're responsible for you losing millions. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and if your product isn't great and your your actions don't speak well of who you are, then there's no reason your customers should stay with you. You know, and everyone's like, oh, social media is really hurting us. Cause, no, <laughs> you're hurting yourself. The only difference is that social media makes it easier for the world to know about. Yeah, it. they're just telling the story. Yep. Yeah. Domino's and Netflix are, are good examples because they, they, they bounced they, back. They took responsibility. Yep. And yeah. they both owned it. Domino's came out and said, you know what? <laughs> you're right. Our pizza, we do have a problem. We're going to fix this. And they spent millions fixing it. And sure enough, they're back with a vengeance now. I'm, I may or may not even have ordered them every once in a while. And I live in New York City. And that's, that's a, that's a, Sacrilege. Yeah, yeah, right. But um, you know, I have the app on my phone for when I'm over, you know, traveling somewhere. I'll be in Sheboygan, whatever, and, and you know, what are you gonna get at eleven thirty at night when your flight's delayed and you land? It's you know, Domino. Um, <clears throat> which reminds me, I should probably go exercise. On the flip side, you know, look at something like Netflix. They uh, they also were screwing up. You know, yeah. they were losing. They tried to switch between the two. They came up with a new name, and, oh, everyone, and it was everyone's so just like, gross and just, public. Oh man! You know, and so, and again, you're watching the same thing happen with Uber right now. So it's gonna be really interesting to see if they're able to repair themselves. Listening is important. Both both those both those two examples, they listen to, to yeah. their customers. I think there's a problem with listening because everyone's been saying listen, listen, listen for months and years and years and years now, but you know, no one ever says that you have to do more than just listen. You have to listen and actually follow up. Yeah. It's one thing to listen, you know. I, I, I use the example of my wife. I could sit there and listen to her for hours. You know? But if I don't actually say anything back, she's gonna smack me. You know, and go into the other room. And so you really have to it's a two way street. You know, listening is great, but you gotta respond. And uh, look, I'll take it a step further. <clears throat> Everyone's like, oh, Twitter's so great because someone was complaining on Twitter and we went online and we, we saw the complaint and then we fixed their problem and yay! Isn't How about if the problem didn't exist in the first place? You know, because the great thing about Twitter is that, yeah, people can complain on Twitter. The bad thing about it is they're complaining about on, you on Twitter. So it's like, what if the problem didn't exist in the first place? What if, what if you empowered your front desk clerk to fix the problem so that I didn't have to tweet? Uh, Hertz is my favorite story about all this. Uh, I used to rent from Hertz religiously. Um, and then I went to... Uh, Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport this past April and I gave a I was giving a speech and I, I go and I, my name's supposed to be on the board you know so I can go right to my car and it wasn't it's okay it happens I go downstairs I wait 40 minutes on the VIP line um, mm. after 40 minutes they oh, finally my. say you know there's a uh, only one guy here a lot of people might have a better chance if you go up to the regular line I'm like okay probably could have told us that a little earlier go up to the regular line spend 45 minutes Waiting in the regular line. It's now been... Now, are you tweeting while this is happening? Well, I had enough... I was actually not only tweeting, I had enough time to create a meme. <laughs> that should give you some idea of how long I was online with my cell phone. I was yeah, creating enough time sure. to have a meme. Yes. I get up to the counter. <clears throat> Hi, can I help you? Yeah, um, I, I was downstairs at the VIP desk, and they told me, to, oh, you have VIP reservation? You have to go downstairs. Like, yeah, okay, let's, let's put a pin in that. Um, they just sent me up here. Like, uh, right, they have to help you. Well, it's not really they. You guys are the same company. I mean, I can see the reservation on the screen. You, 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 you can help me. Sorry, sir, I can't help you. You have to go to VIP next. I'm like, you just nexted me. Okay. So, if you know anything about Sky Harbor Airport in Phoenix, um, all of the rental car companies oh, right. are they're all in the same place. place. Yeah. So, I walked 50 feet. It's a bus takes you to the big, to the big right, uh, right. pavilion where they're all next to each other. I walked 50 yeah. feet from the cesspool of filth and depravity that was Hertz to the, the wonderful Zen Garden of Tranquility that was Avis. And in four minutes... I had a nicer, cheaper, more, or nicer, less expensive car given to me by a woman named Phyllis, who was 66 and moved to Phoenix from Detroit with her husband for his asthma. I knew this because she told me. Yeah. Um, she smiled at me. She brought her manager out and said, ah, it's another uh, refugee from uh, Hertz. And I said, so this happens a lot. They're like, yep. I'm like, wow, you'd think they'd have done something about that. And... Uh, so on the way out in Avis, um, I, I thank them. I walk past hers. I shoot them this, you know, sort of look of the look of the beast. I get my Avis car and I drive to my hotel. Once I get to my hotel, I write a, a wonderful blog post uh, about my experience called Peter and Hertz and the Terrible, Horrible, No Boot, Good, Really Bad Customer Experience. Once you have a kid, you find up you're, you're writing titles about your blog post that have to do with kids' books. Um, I do not like Hertz, Sam I Am, and things like that. And uh, I included in this blog post the five things I'd rather do than ever uh, rent from Hertz again. Mm. I think number three was... Um, was uh, ride a razor blade bus through a lemon juice waterfall, <laughs> um, with just oh, cool, <laughs> you know, and, and so, but, but of course, so the next day, Hertz reaches out to me. Oh, Mr. Jangman, this is the head of North American Customer Service. I saw your box. I'm like, they're like, you know, we'd love to have Nick. No, like, you're not going to fix the problem. Number one, because I'm in an Avis car. I'm never going back to Hertz. Number two, there were five 
people yesterday. Five people I interacted with, all of whom had the chance to save me and keep me as a customer for life. A, a customer who had been so happy and I would have loved you. Five people blew it. So don't waste your time trying to convert me back. You're not going to. What you want to do is spend some of that energy retraining your staff to have empathy and to give them the ability and the empowerment to fix my problem when it happens. Because five people. It, it takes every single employee to keep your company running. It takes one to kill it. Yeah. P.S. Avis reached out um, to thank me personally. And uh, I am now just this ridiculously huge loyal fan of Avis and always will be. You have a pretty touching story about uh, when you worked at a yogurt shop. You were really, <laughs> you were really young. Um, we have a couple minutes. So tell, that, tell that good story. See, that was on the east side, which again is yet another reason why I live on the west side. Nothing good ever happens <laughs> on Manhattan's east side. So I was, uh, I, I was working at I Can't Believe It's Yogurt, uh, which was a store that I think back in the 80s. ICBY. I, no, no. It? TCBY was the country's best yogurt. Oh, the country's. Oh. ICBIY was a poor oh, attempt. Oh, I can't believe it's yogurt. <laughs> I can't believe it's not yogurt. I can't believe it's yogurt. It was a poor attempt to capitalize on that was TCB and I'm working at this store and um, I go in every day and make the yogurt and clean the floors I do you know typical high school job and uh, it was during the summer and thousands of people walking by I think it was like 2nd Avenue or something and there were these brass poles that hung from you know there was an awning right it's an awning up there and there were the brass poles that held the awning up and they were dirty as hell right I'm sure they'd never been polished ever and I found, some, I found some brass polish in the back, like all the way buried in the back. And one afternoon, I went outside, and I started polishing the poles. My logic was, if the poles were shiny and people saw them, maybe they'd come into the store. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'd want to, you know, buy more. Nice clean place. And the manager came out, what the hell are you doing? I said, I told him what I thought. I don't pay you to think. Get inside. You know, I'm like, there's no customers in there. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll make sure the yogurt's still pumping at full blast. And I quit. I just quit that job. Like, I mean, I, I couldn't even begin to understand why... Someone would invest. I mean, to own a franchise, break fifty grand, to at least to buy that franchise. Why wouldn't he invest in the two seconds it took Little Elbow Grease to make the poles clean that might bring in more customers? What the hell? And, you know. But, but you're not paid to think. No, you're not paid to think. My favorite line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just I I encourage if any kids are listening, this teenagers, if you if you boss says that to you, quit, quit. I will hire you. Just quit. It's <laughs> it's it's probably the worst thing in the world that you could possibly do because you have customers who you have customers who every day can be helped by people who are paid to think and that's the ones you want to hire we got to wrap up tell me what you love about the work you do (sighs) i get paid to talk i mean my god this is the same stuff i used to get in trouble for in high school but on a bigger picture what i really love about it is being able to open someone's eyes and have them come back to me um i run a series of masterminds called shank minds business masterminds at shankminds.com they're day-long seminars all around the country. And uh, I had someone come to me and say, you know, I took your advice about XYZ and I, I started listening a little more and I just got uh, the largest um, retainer client I've ever had in my life by a factor of four. She mm-hmm. goes, and I just can't even thank you enough. She sent me like a gorgeous bottle of tequila. She's like, I can't even thank you enough. Oh my God. Being able to help people. You know, at the end of the day, we're, we're, I, I've yet to find another planet suitable for life. I'm looking. So we're all in this together. And if that's the case, you know, why wouldn't we want to help people just a little bit more? You know, there really isn't a need to be as douchey as, as we are as a society. We could probably all be a little nicer to each other and you'd be surprised how that'll help. The book is Zombie Loyalists. It's published by Palgrave Macmillan. comes out in January. You'll find Peter at shankman.com and on Twitter at Peter Shankman. Peter, thank you so much. Pleasure was mine. Oh, thank you. Next week, that's an open question. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, find it at tonymartinetti.com. We're sponsored by DonorBox. Outdated donation forms blocking your supporters' generosity. DonorBox. Fast, flexible, and friendly fundraising forms for your nonprofit. DonorBox.org. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. I'm your associate producer, Kate Marnetti. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with us next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great. <laughs>